0: All right, we've been looking at Nehemiah. We've been looking at the story of Nehemiah. And if you remember, last week we talked about how, um, can you go to the next slide for me? Just hit the the space bar. Uh, Babylon conquered Israel. And they just destroyed Israel. Their whole way of conquering other nations was, we're going to destroy all of your identity. You become us now. And so they destroyed their city, they destroyed the houses, they destroyed the walls, they destroyed the temple, took, looted it, and they did all this stuff, and they're just like, you're us now. Well, 50 years later, Persia beat Babylon. They defeated Babylon. And therefore, Persia was now the king over Israel, because when they conquered Babylon, they captured everything Babylon had. And Persia's approach was a little different where they said, look, we don't care if you follow your religion, if you go back home, do your thing, if you want to rebuild, whatever, uh, that's fine, you just got to keep paying us taxes. And so over the years, a couple groups of Israelites had migrated back to Jerusalem and started over. And Nehemiah is part of a third group of exiles making this thousand-mile journey back to Jerusalem to start over, and he has a mission— to rebuild the walls surrounding Jerusalem. When he arrives in Jerusalem, that's where we left off last week that he had got this mission from the king, he had the escort, he's gonna go. Uh, When he arrived in Jerusalem, he went to the Israelites who were there and told him his plan. And they were excited about it, but there was one catch. And that's where we are in Nehemiah chapter two, next slide. Uh, verse nineteen to twenty, where it says, "When Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab heard of our plan, this is Nehemiah writing, uh, speaking? They scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king? They ask. Who? Who are these guys? Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab. Like who cares?" What, what do they even have uh, to speak into this? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, Tobiah was the governor of Ammon. Geshem was the leader of a powerful group of Arab communities that were in the area. And Sanballat, uh, he's the real villain that we're going to see over the course of this story. He was the governor of Samaria. How many of you guys recognize the word Samaria? Yeah, during Jesus' time, Uh, Jewish people hated Samaritans so much that like they would walk a further journey so that they didn't have to touch Samaritan dirt. Like if the shortest way to go to a place, crossed, they hated them. Uh, It was so bad. And that went back centuries even to this point where there's just a lot of hatred and animosity. And in Jerusalem having its walls rebuilt meant that the Israelites could become a people again. They could kind of start to have a national identity again. Even with Persia over, it would make them have a little bit of power. They would be able to defend themselves. They would be able to stand up to Sambal, to Geshem, to Tobiah. So these guys don't like it. And, and they're saying, you know, hey, are you rebelling against, are you building up your walls so you can try and fight back against the Persians? Is that what's going on? That's the rumor they want to start. But really it was about, hey, we're a thousand miles from the king of Persia and right now we're the ones with power and we don't want you to get power back right so they're threatened by that Nehemiah replies in verse 20 I replied the God of heaven will help us succeed we his servants will start rebuilding this wall but you have no share legal right or historic claim in Jerusalem Nehemiah faces them down Right? Like, he's just confident, and this is the mission God has given me. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how powerful you are. I don't care how, threat, how many threats you have. We're doing this. And chapter three goes on to describe Nehemiah's, Nehemiah's plan to pull it off. He recruits all of the people that are there living in the Jerusalem area, the, what few Jews there are. He recruits all of them to chip in. It's It's this big plan of like, hey, instead of a few people doing a ton of work, we're all going to take on little bits. And so he grabs all these different people. and He's like, you, you're in charge of this section of the wall. You, you're in charge of this section of the wall. Like, here's how wild it was. He had the priests working on a section of the wall. He had this guy, Hananiah. He made perfumes. The perfume guy was in charge of a section of the wall. Uh, There was this dude, Shalom. didn't have sons. So Nehemiah was like, hey, you got daughters? Your daughters can build this section of the wall. He was like, go do it. There were some tough women. And uh, so they got a big shout out in chapter three. Then there was this dude, Malkijah. He rebuilt the dung gate. The dung gate. Uh, does, Does anybody know what dung means? Yeah, poop poop. It it really has no bearing on anything to do with this story other than I just wanted you all to know there was a poop gate and this guy had to rebuild it. So I don't know. Not everyone got a cool job. The point is, Nehemiah chapter 3 is going, this is a massive job, but we're dividing it up and spreading out amongst all these people. And they started working on it. Well, Nehemiah chapter 4 picks up now that they're working. And it says in verse 1, Sam Ballot, what a guy, was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can rebuild the wall in a single day just by offering a few sacrifices? He's like essentially going, do they think they can pray this thing into existence? They're just going to do a few things and God's just going to... You know he's he's making fun of him. He's going. He says, "Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that?" Because here's the deal: uh, the wall they were building. Walls back then were not like walls and fences today, right? Like a wall. 2600 years ago was so thick you could people would have their houses inside the wall at times right because they had to be tall enough that armies could be marching on the top and going back for it was thick it was made of heavy duty stone and when the Babylonians conquered them they did they burned Jerusalem they destroyed things and destroyed the wall and so it was all rubble but all of this stone was just ugly from burning and, and being beat up but it was still usable Right? So Sambal, he's going, What they think they can use all this? Well, it's like you burn a rock, it's still a rock. So Samba is just this bully who is like shocked that he made threats and the people he bullies didn't give in. You know, it, you kind of almost picture him like sputtering and whatever. And then it says in verse 3, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, yeah, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. Whatever, Tobiah, shut up. Every bully has like their little goon standing next to him who's like, yeah, blah, blah. nobody wants to hear you, Tobiah. Nobody likes you. Anyways, Tobiah needs to pick better friends. Verse four, here's Nehemiah's response. Now here's the deal. The Israelites had every right to be afraid. Because Bala and Tobiah and Gershom, they actually had access to lots of fighting men and resources that they could make a scene over this if they wanted to. If they wanted to attack, it could be really bad. But Nehemiah's response to this bullying and this threatening, he says, Then I prayed, hear us, O God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. I love that instead of Nehemiah reacting in fear or reacting in anger or popping off or making a decision, what does he do? He turns to God in prayer. And last week we talked about that Nehemiah was a man of prayer, that over and over he turns to God. We learn a lot about prayer from Nehemiah's example. How do we respond in moments of crisis? Do we react? Do we pop off on people? Do we blow up? Or do we turn to God in prayer and look to him for help? Well, verse six of chapter four says, at last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city. For the people had worked with enthusiasm. So it's halfway up. They're starting to, they're being excited. They had worked with a lot of energy. And uh, this got Sam Ballot really mad. And so he made a plan, all right, we're doing it. We're going in, we're gonna attack. But word got back to the Israelites, and they told Nehemiah, they're like, he's gonna attack, we're all gonna die. And Nehemiah hatched a plan. He goes, okay, here's what we're gonna do. He took all of the people, and he split them in half. And he took half of them, and he said, you put on your armor, get all your weapons, get everything, and he spread them out around the city. And he goes, you're guarding. You don't work anymore. All you do is look to see if somebody's coming. You see them. You blow the alarm. We all come running. We join in the fight. And then he took the other half and he says, you half are still going to work on the wall. But from now on, you wear a sword in your belt. So that if you hear that trumpet, you're jumping in too. So he mobilizes everybody. stations everybody. Gets them all ready to go. Sam Ballot hears this. It's too late. Like he, he had already, he had, made, he had planned his attack, but it depended on them, not expecting him. So he holds back, but he's still mad, which you think means, all right, it's time for some smooth sailing. Chapter 5 gets to the part that I find really fascinating. In chapter 5, verse 1, it says this, about this time, some of the men and their wives, the Jewish people, raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such large families, we need more food to survive. Others said, we've mortgaged our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get food during the famine. So apparently, in addition to rebuilding this wall, there's been other hard times going on. And building this wall takes time. So all of these people had left their farms, left their homes, left all their stuff to come build this thing. And they were existing on what little resources they had. And some of these families are going, Nehemiah, you're killing us, literally. We're dying. We, we don't have any money left. We've, we've borrowed everything we can borrow. We've loaned off everything we've owned, right? Like they have, they have mortgaged off their fields and their homes. And what that means is they've taken loans against it, but they're like, we can't pay it back. We're not working our fields, so we're gonna lose everything, The people that we borrowed from are going to take it and capture it. They'll they'll have all of it. That's not even the worst part. Verse 4, it says, And others said, We've had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy. They're going, we're all Jews here. And our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We've already sold some of our daughters. And we are helpless to do anything about it for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. They're going, here's how much we're starving. We've had to sell some of our children into slavery just so that we can get money to feed the rest of our children. And there's no way we're going to be able to buy them back out of slavery because we've already lost our fields. We've already lost our homes. And now we're losing our families. It's exactly what it sounds like. Horrible. And imagine how desperate the need is that people will get to that point of selling one child to be able to feed the other children. Nehemiah says When I heard their complaints, I was very angry. After thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. I told them, You are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. At the meeting, I said to them, we're doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who had to sell themselves to poor pagan foreigners. He's going, what's going on here? Right, because this was a practice that happened back in the day. You could sell yourself or sell your family members into slavery to get money and then buy them back if you got the money. And, and the Jewish people were buying back, buying back freedom, for Jews that had been sold to slavery to other countries and other nationalities. So Nehemiah is going, wait, 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 wait. So you get that this is a problem if somebody else does it. And at the same time, you're helping redeem these people. You're selling your you're you're buying your own people into slavery? He goes, You're selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? <coughs> and they had nothing to say in their defense. Nehemiah's livid. Because he's going, in what world, if we understand that we're God's chosen people, in what world is it right for those who have resources to take advantage of this crisis, to take advantage of this tragedy, to make money off of the poor? He's like, you're not even just making money off it. You're gouging everything they have. You're using this opportunity to increase your land, to increase your wealth, to increase your slave, like all of this stuff. Nehemiah is outraged. And he's going, it's just horrific hypocrisy. So then Nehemiah says, then I press further, what you are doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of our God? He's going, look, you should be afraid of God that you are doing this to people. Should you not walk in the fear of God in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? I myself, as well as my brothers and my workers, have been lending the people money and grain, but now let us stop this business of charging interest. You must restore their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and homes to them today and repay the interest you charge when you lent them money, grain, new wine, all these going, you gotta give it all back, everything back, all the interest, all of it. Nehemiah is laying down the law. And this really reflects the heart of God. Throughout the Bible, God is like, do not take advantage of the poor. Do not take advantage of the downtrodden. Don't take advantage of people who have less. Don't use your position. Don't build your position on the backs of others. Don't use your position to take advantage of others. And so they do this. Because God, all of us, are God's creations, created in his image. And when those with the power to hurt or take advantage of others do so, God's looking and going, you are taking advantage of, you are hurting, you are not caring for my child. Someone created my image. Well, Nehemiah sorted that out. Work resumed, and they continued to guard against attack, And they pressed on. And in Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 15 through 16, it says, On October 2nd, the wall was finished, just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. The rest of the nations were like, there's no way they pulled this off in 52 days with the limited resources they have without God being a part of it. So the wall is complete, but there's two things I think we can learn from it, right? There's two big points, and I put them on the bottom of your paper, uh, you know, because like, look, it's, this is not a wall building guide for us 2,600 years later. We're not building big stone walls and whatever, but I do think there are two things that we can learn about prayer, again, from the example of Nehemiah, and the first one is this, and I put it on your paper, prayer changes our response to hard times. Remember earlier when the enemies started reacting and and Nehemiah's response, rather than to react or do something foolish in the moment, the heat of emotion, he turned to God in prayer. It changes how we respond to hard times. Nehemiah had a different response because of his habit of prayer. In John 14, 27, Jesus speaking, he says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace and peace. Of mind and heart. He's not saying I'm giving you an easy, in fact, Jesus a lot of times says we're going to have a hard time. We're going to have a hard life. But he's saying in the midst of all that, I'm going to give you peace of mind, peace of heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Jesus gave us this incredible gift, the Holy Spirit in our life, that no matter what's going on, we can have peace, that we can turn to God in prayer and find strength to get through whatever it is that we are facing, to give us wisdom in how we respond, that when bullies or other people come at us, we can know this is how God wants me to handle this moving forward. The second thing that we learn from Nehemiah's uh, prayer life is that prayer changes our response To others, right? That that when we pray regularly, that when we are checking in with God, when we make prayer a habit, our heart becomes more and more like God's heart, right? That the more that we're connecting with him, the more our desires reflect God's desires, and the more we become kind of like Nehemiah in this passage of when he saw people being abused. Nehemiah's reaction wasn't, how can I get in on this and make some money too? Nehemiah's reaction was, this is horrific We need to help these people. In Proverbs 14, 31, it says, those who oppress the poor insult their maker, but helping the poor honors him. See, prayer can change our hearts so that we're more aware of what's going on around us, that we would have more of an attitude of like Christ, that we would see others the way God sees them, and that we would not be like these Israelites using our opportunities to take advantage of other people, minimize. In fact, I would say that prayer makes us also like Nehemiah, where it wasn't just that Nehemiah wasn't going to do it. He was going to stop others from doing that, those injustices. That we should be, as we pursue a God, looking for opportunities to how can we help those in need? How can we prevent others from taking advantage of them? So, Prayer changes our response to hard times. Prayer changes our response to others. Let me pray. We're out of time. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the book of Nehemiah and all that we learned from it. And God, we ask that you, would, that you would help us to make prayer such a habit in our lives, that it would change us as well, that it would change how we respond to situations and how we respond to others that you would be honored by how we treat and help those around us. In your name, amen.